Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Finding Backcountry Podcast. If I'm not careful, this is going to turn into a consistent thing again, <laughs> um, which is what I want. I'm, you know, I've kind of, kind of re re uh, energized myself and dedicated to getting these out more consistently. So, uh, with no further ado, back by popular demand, uh, I got Robbie Denning. How you doing, buddy? Hey, good man. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, we'd like it if you put out a few more. Yeah. <laughs> you're you like you're like that punch that comes flying in from the back that you don't expect. You know, you're scrolling through your feed and all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, what's what's going on? There must be a death in the family. What? Dustin's posting today. <laughs> what podcast is this? I forgot I even subscribed to this. <laughs> finding what is this? Finding what? Uh, finding another uh, we, episode. <laughs> that's a compliment, brother. Yeah, no, I man, it's it's tough. I uh to be honest, um I, I was, you know, when, I, so when I'm not recording hunting podcasts, I tend to listen to more hunting podcasts, if that makes sense. And I don't mean this, you know, there's just only a few good ones out there. Um, in mm-hmm. my completely selfish biased opinion, like, um, you know, I rock rock slide has a good one rock cast. Um, I always like Jordan stuff. Um, you know, but there's, uh, you know, Rinella is good for one every once in a while. I like listening to Snyder's, um, you know, and there's probably a couple others that I'm missing, but really it's like, man, and I hate to nitpick, but I don't feel like guys understand how to ask questions. I don't, you know, I don't know, man. Like some, sometimes they just go into topics that I'm not interested in and that's nothing against them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know, you know, it gets to the point and it's like, man, I, I, I miss talking to guys like you consistently and, and, um, you know, I, I get the content, you know, this is, this is kind of like listening to my own, to a podcast, but I get to determine what gets asked and what gets said and stuff. So I, I really do. I love it, man. So <clears throat> yeah, back by popular demand, I, I threw up a thing on uh team back country, I think Instagram. And, uh, there was a handful, just, just a couple guys that had gotten brought up more than once and you're definitely one of them. So people, people either. Dude, feel like... Those are my, those are my aunts, dude. And my grandma, <laughs> I, 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 I tell them to watch for that stuff, and, you know, work on getting me on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. They disguise themselves as men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I think it's just people who, uh, either want to hear more of what you already said or feel like you have, uh, you know, a unit by unit breakdown of Idaho that they want. <laughs> I hate that crap, man. I'm <laughs> uh, just giving you a hard time. We were, we were oh, talking God. before this. And when I asked Robbie to come on, it was like, Hey, I'll come on. But like no unit by unit breakdown type stuff, because you, here's the, here's the truth. You guys can't control yourselves. You cannot control yourselves. And you know, I get a glimpse of probably what Robbie deals with. 
uh, people asking me about units and where, you know, I mean, the obvious stuff's been happening for years, right? Where did you kill that buck at? You know, what mm -hmm. unit in Colorado? And it's just like, come on, man. Um, but you guys, you know, if people put info out there, it's like, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and whatever, there's a lot of guys that enjoy that. I, I don't, I don't mind it. You know, I was joking with Robbie, like, um, but it's, it's really just, uh, what's the word uncouth. It's just a little bit, um, you know, going to a guy and just blatantly asking about units and I don't know, it's, it's just tough, man. There's businesses out there for it you know yeah exactly that's what we got jason carter and robert hangman for man those yeah. guys are doing that stuff every day right. and 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 you know i found that if i if i'm honest with guys i'm gonna end up sending everybody to the same spot because you know there's only one or two good spots in each unit if that much and you know you and, and guys it, 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 most guys are pretty respectful now you know they're they're not too needly like they used to be i think they've kind of figured out that doesn't get them anywhere with a lot of people um but dude, some of it's just the time dustin i mean i i, I was laughing a minute ago but seriously i've been sitting at my daughter's soccer game and and here comes this you know pm dm whatever they are and and, 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 you know, bless the guy's heart. It's just, it seems like little questions to him, but it's like, oh my gosh, that's like 30 minutes right there. And, you know, you answer well, a little bit of it and that's going to, that's going to bring up other questions. And so, so some of it, I just feel bad because I'm like, I am not going to get into that discussion there. That's a, that's a big discussion. That's, and, you know, oh, and my daughter just kicked a goal and I missed it because I was looking at my DM. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and now I, now I'm, I'm kind of reflecting back. Cause I, you know, I actually came to you, um, not knowing anything about the Idaho, the limited, the limited tag, um, applications a couple of years ago. And maybe you don't even remember, but you know, I, Oh man, what did I say? Well, did I, I answer, I won't even, no, I won't even, you know, I'm not going to say what unit, obviously just out of respect for you. I would never utter, I, I wouldn't, I would never utter the, and and that's, that's a good, that's a good piece of valuable information. If, if you do hit up a guy and he is willing to give you information, like you have to, you have to protect that as if he took you physically took you into your spot and, mm -hmm. and the, the, you know, kind of the, the unwritten rule there, I, I hope it's still an unwritten rule is like, you know, if you take me into your spot, it's still your spot. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I don't have jurisdiction over that. And so I would never even utter the the unit, but that's all I did was hit you up for like, Hey man, like a general unit. And you were like, try here. And that was the end of it. And I, I've never drawn. So I actually a, answered that. I'm proud of myself. One, a lot you, of times I duck and run. Well, it was, I mean, don't give yourself too much credit. It was three letters, you know, it was two numbers, you know, it was like whatever the units were. <laughs> Try this letter or this number. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but no, that's, that's as much as I would ever expect from, you know, and, and so maybe I'm the pot calling the kettle black, I guess. But, um, you know, anyway. So, well, we're here. We're here. We're Let's here. Talk, I, I like what we were talking about. I love talking about the how way more than yeah. I talk about the where anyways. You yeah. know, let, let, let Epic and Hunt and Fool handle the where. You're, they're really good at that stuff. Yeah. Well, and 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 with that, <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, every year, I guess with, you know, subconsciously, I guess I just start with asking myself, what is the state of the, you know, and, and you're the mule deer guy. So what is the state of mule deer? holistically throughout the west um and that that kind of helps me direct my path of what i'm going to do for the year so i mean in, in your 
you know, in your circle of the units or the states that you keep track of, what's kind of the weather situation and the deer situation? Well, I keep track of every state, at least, you know, on a, just a, a general basis, you know, like, um, you know, maybe, maybe I don't hunt Eastern Oregon, but, you know, I try to keep my ear to the ground. Um, and we're working on an article right now, uh, with an author that I commissioned on Rockside. His name's Mike street. He's on uh, Instagram and, um, he is doing an article for us and he's working with uh, Jim. I won't butcher his last name, but mm-hmm. from the Arizona game and fish. And he does a lot of writing for the, uh, mule deer foundation. His last name's, I think it's Heffelfinger, you know, something like that. Um, uh, deer nut on the internet. Um, he's got a, a, a mule deer book out there that's out of print right now. Um, I think it's mule deer of the Southwest or deer of the Southwest and a uh, very knowledgeable guy. And, um, I'm, I'm having Mike work with him because when you h- hear him talking about uh, Deer, read his articles. He was on uh, Gritty's podcast here. It's probably been about a year ago, but uh, you know they really got into the to to, to this the state of mule deer. You know, maybe eight eight or ten western states and kind of the big overall trend of it. And it, it it's kind of what I thought when I heard him start talking about it. But I'm like, nobody nobody's saying this right now. But he was like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, yeah, mule deer go up and down. And if we set our our benchmark as, you know, the, the heyday of mule deers of the 60s and 70s, yep, yep, we're down. And, uh, you know, and I'm paraphrasing him. I might have a few little details not quite correct. But he said, on an average, though, if you look at the last few decades, and this, this is where I agreed with it, and I, I put it in my book, too, that we're way better off than we were in the 90s. Um, and you know, a lot of guys are already, but no, no way, man. I, I saw way more big bucks in the nineties and you know, this, we had way more deer here, blah, blah. Well, he, remember he's talking overall in, in the right. West, you know, not these, you can't just look at, at small sample sizes. And a lot of times that's what hunters end up doing, looking at their two or three units and well, this is down. Is, okay, so the would, whole world's down. Would Colorado would Colorado in the early mid two thousands be a good example of that where it was like they they kind of knee jerk reacted, I think, to some winter kill and they cut everything back and there was like this this blip of like, holy cow, mule deer hunting in Colorado is just bananas, right? And 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 it was like, oh, and then and then it, and then it's kind of it's kind of leveled off, you know, but but if you just lived in Colorado or only hunted Colorado for that, you know, five years, you would you'd be like, man, this is, you know, now it's gone downhill. Right. Relative to. Yeah, the- you'd hang it up. If, that, <clears throat> right. if that's your benchmark of mule deer, And that was Jim's whole what he was talking about right there is the, you know, these ebbs and flows of mule deer and, you know, and let's, let's, let's focus on Colorado's um, kind of contain this conversation so people can follow what we're talking about here. Um, I don't think it was a knee jerk reaction. Colorado was doing really well up until the 92, 93 winter. You're definitely right. There was a winter kill there. And, you know, that, that, that affected us West wide, almost all States were affected at some level on that. And uh, Colorado, that was in 92, 93. They never implemented limited licenses until 99. And I was hunting Colorado before the winter kill. And I was hunting Colorado after the winter kill. And yeah, 90, 90, 
93, 94, you know, they, they were tough years, but it was, it was starting to heal up. Um, you know, it wasn't awesome. And, and, and everybody's benchmark was what it had been a, a decade before. And the eighties were pretty good. You talked to Kurt Darner is, who lived down there and, you know, the, no matter what you think of him, he's got a good pulse on mule deer down there. He's like, yeah, the eighties were still pretty good. And so they just weren't getting their feet back under them, you know, by the, by the late nineties. And, um, the, the sportsmen got together. There was some key people on the game and fish is what it was the DOW. I think it was called back then. Now it's the CPW, uh, that were, were really aggressive and, and, and trying to kind of get back to where, where they had been. And that's, that's where the whole limited license, uh, management came in and, and, and it was a good thing. And maybe the knee jerk reaction, Dustin, was that, they 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 went very conservative on a lot of it and really yeah. uh, cut the licenses you know and it, and it, you know they especially Gunnison Basin and you know places like that they really took them down but you know as you know there's more licenses now on average than there was then and it it, it caught us all off off guard Dustin like we were all thinking oh this is a good thing yeah and you know I kept hunting Colorado I think uh, let's see they put it in in '99. I had a license that year. I had a license in 2001. I had a license in 2003, 2004, 2005. So I was there. And plus I was, I was scouting in the summer, some, some of the units, cause I was trying to decide, you know, gosh, do I hunt the later low seasons? Do I or hunt the early high seasons? You know? So I, I was really, really spending a lot of time down there and hooking up with um, friends that really knew what was going on. Kurt was one of them. And, um, and I remember in 2004, all of a sudden we were all just looking at each other going, my gosh, some of these buck, some of these basins have 30 or 40 bucks in them where, you know, 10, eight years before you know, there was, there was four, you know, it, it, it's like it is now in Idaho. And, uh, it was just like, wow. I, in one two day sprint in 2004, uh, and, uh, uh I saw like three bucks, 190 to 210 in just a weekend and it, it was just over the top number of bucks and so um and and it's always has to do with the weather you can have the greatest management system and if the weather's still not good or the habitat's not good it's just going to kind of plunk along and that's that's what happened in 61 on the uncompagre plateau is a lot of central Colorado, the really high stuff was doing really, really well. And yet the guys over in 61 were like, man, you know, yeah, we got a few older age class bucks, but this, this is just not taken off, you know, probably had to do with, you know, old habitat and, you know, think things like that. So it wasn't everywhere, but, you know, on the whole, it really, really took off. And, and so back to the weather, 07 comes along, 05, 06 and the hunting, the, the fall of 07 were all great hunting years um and you know it didn't mean you were going to get a 200 i didn't kill a 200 in those years but you know number of bucks was up buck to doe ratios were high um you know guys that knew what they were doing were killing big bucks on purpose which is always the best indicator you know because just because somebody drives down the you put it you put ten thousand guys in a road system someone's going to kill a big buck but <laughs> you know when guys are focusing and you know they're putting in their time and they're killing big deer then you know okay they're here they really are here and that's what was happening you know 05 06 07 but then 07 the december came and you know that's the one we keep talking about that was the the the, the next bad winter after 92 93 that really was a significantly bad winter and that set those deer way way back almost every, everywhere on the western slope and 
the biologists kind of started talking like our, I've heard Idaho biologists talk for years that it does no good to stockpile these deer. And what they mean by that is, you know, have very, very restrictive hunting seasons and you get all these deer and life is going to be grand. Well, that's until the next hard winter and, and you end up losing more deer than you would have had you managed at a lower level. And that's hard for Mm. guys to wrap, wrap their mind around. And, you know, it's, it doesn't hold true every single place, but we saw that in Southeast Idaho in 92, 93, uh, you know, in 91 and 92, you know, we, we were buying two deer tags, um, um, without having to pay the non-resident price. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, just resident price you could buy two deer tags you could shoot um two does or a buck and a doe and 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 some of these southeast side of units and 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 dustin it was crazy you know 91 you know it was really only 20 years after kind of the heyday of it i remember my dad saying man i have not seen this many deer in idaho since the 60s you know this this is a lot of deer and and sure enough 92 93 came in just knocked the crap out of those deer and um and that's when i heard a lot of our biologists started saying like see you know we managed too conservatively we got this big peak in deer and now we've actually killed off more than we would have had 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 we have balanced the deer herd with the habitat you know just basic conservation 101 you know balancing your species with your habitat and then and then we paid the price in a few units of damaged winter range from the 90s you know prior to the hard winter of deer just just you know high high browse lines you know they'd eaten everything up so high they couldn't reach it anymore on the on the on the rocky mountain and the utah juniper they couldn't reach that anymore you know the bitter brush was in bad shape you know that was a little bit due to drought but also you know overgrazing from the from the deer and the elk uh, mostly deer at that time and so then then it takes longer to recover your deer and so so back to colorado you know that's what that's you know, get, get, have you had mike duplan on your podcast I haven't. I need to. You should, dude. He's 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 the modern day deer nut of Colorado, and you know he knows what's going on. He's got a thirty year perspective, and he's you know hunted it before the before the hard winters, after the hard winters, before limited licenses, after the limited licenses. Um, uh, just just a good guy to follow, and and you know you'll hear him talking about that too. That the biologists made just that decision. They're not going to try to stockpile these deer and have these so, high level uh, <laughs> uh, herds and then just lose them to the winter. Go ahead. When I hear that the the stockpiling deer thing that gets brought up quite a bit, um, doesn't that seem like you're managing? And I'm 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 I don't know. I'm just asking. Does that seem like you're managing for a one out of ten or one out of fifteen or one out of twenty year circumstance? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like yeah. What's what and and then what's the implication if that is your your mindset if you're gonna you know, not going to stockpile deer, whatever that number is or whatever that means. And then you, you still have your bad winter. It's, it's not, you know, it, it almost implies that it's like, man, if we just don't stockpile these deer, then these bad winters won't come along and, and knock our herd out. Well, yeah, they will. And then if you're, you know, if you're, if you're already over, you know, call it over managing or, or over quoting your tags, and then you have a bad winter, then what does that look like? And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we've seen that quite yet, um, you know, or, or maybe we have, and you have a good example of, hey, you know, Wyoming did that, where you know, Colorado did that, or whatever. But those are just things that come to my mind. Um, any thoughts on that? 
Well, well, deer are always going to be cyclical. You're going to have your peaks, uh, typically in the in the mountain uh, west units. You know, I'm not talking about desert. That can be almost the opposite. You're going to have your peaks of your of your of your dry years and um, uh, mild winters, and you're going to see those those those, those deer numbers population wise increase. And you know, typically, as the population increases, so does the number of bucks. You're you're, you're going to have that, and um, and then you're going to have your 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 your, your valleys where where and that's typically related to winters it, it can be a combination of drought and winter that's what happened in 92 93 we had you know pretty severe drought prior to that so the habitat was in bad condition so then those then those deer crash so with with modern management you're just trying to level off your peaks and raise your valleys is what you're trying to do and so to answer your question um and, and this is where a lot of hunters just you know they'll argue with me They'll, they'll, but it's it, it, it's a tenet of conservation. Aren't we trying to balance the the, ha, the 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 herd numbers with the available habitat? Right. I mean, would you argue with that? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what we want to do, right? We can't like right now. We would probably argue some places have way too many elk. You know, they're just they're just devastating the winter range, making it hard for deer to to compete with them. You know, there's 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 studies that are coming out that are showing that now these elk are displacing deer. So Balancing so we got all things, yeah, exactly. Okay, so 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 when when we when we are are managing for deer, like what you said for this one and ten year high, you know, everything's so restrictive, not a lot of doe harvest, you know, very restrictive buck hunting, and you get this this big herd. Yeah, it's it's a heyday for a couple of years. It really is, and it's a great thing to be able to hunt then, but. If, if you haven't managed it like that and you've kept the deer more in balance with their habitat, you don't get the severe uh, winter kill that you do because the, the, the deer are more balanced with the, the available habitat. A lot of hunters just they, 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 they don't realize those does and fawns are competing with those bucks in a hard winter. So when you have, you know, guess tons of does guess and gonna, fawns. Yeah, guess who's going to lose? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, Ultimately, the whole deer herd loses because if, if there's not enough feed to go around and, 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 and conditions are severe, you're going to lose more deer than if they were balanced with the habitat. And, you know, this can get into the weeds of, okay, so now let's talk about what, how do we balance? Is there enough habitat? I mean, no, there's not enough habitat. That's why we don't have as many deer as we did in the sixties. We probably never will. You know, we, it's a habitat problem. If we can get the habitat functioning like it's supposed to, then yeah, we can, we can actually raise that peak of deer that I keep talking about and raise the valley because it's habitat, Dustin. It really, it really is habitat. Well, and so anyways, I'm going on and on. No. And what I'm hearing is if you're from California and you're moving out West and building houses on the outskirts of these towns, you're ruining our deer herd and it's your fault. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But you know, I actually, I um, live in a little town that, you know, 40 years ago, <laughs> When they built these houses, we were ruining the deer habitat. Yeah. So I don't want to—I don't want to point too many fingers at people, you know. <laughs> no, Californians, we love you so much. Um, I did make a comment on my last episode or a couple episodes ago that if California was growing 400-inch deer, I still wouldn't give them a penny by applying there. Um, and a lot of people messaged me running with that. But hey, um, hey, I, hey, I know some very good buck hunters in California oh, yeah. that hunt California that kill top end deer in California. Hey, I, so it, it, it can still be done. Those I guys show give you me my... hope if things ever get really bad here that, well, at least, at least the, uh, the cream of the crop can still uh, find the cream of the crop. Well, I mean, if, you know, I've never hunted California, but if you can, you know, 
from my perception, if you can kill big bucks in California on those type of units, like you could probably figure it out anywhere, you know? Oh yeah. You could kill big mule deer in New Zealand. If you can, if you can do it in California, <laughs> they don't even have them in New Zealand, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. with you, bro. Hey, all but anyway, this... so, so I don't know if we want to keep hammering that, but that's well, kind of my thoughts on it, you know? No, I love it. And you, you know, the, the route I want to go here and kind of tie this all together, um, you know, because you also um, simultaneously, I guess, or, or throughout the last, you know, 30 years or whatever, you kind of consider your your career here, you've had a, a bead on um, these lab aging of these deer, right? And mm-hmm. so yep. I, I think that's an interesting parallel to, to compare um, your, what you've seen on those lab aging results throughout the last, you know, 20 or 30 years or whatever it's been that mm-hmm. you've, that you've been dived into that in, yeah. in adjacent to, you know, adjacent to how these winters have gone and, and just kind of the whole management process and kind of where you've seen the lab aging, does it ebb and flow? Do you see, you know, do you see trends? Do you see guys, Oh, this year I saw a lot of 200 inch bucks come through that were lab aged at four and a half. Whereas, you know, in the, in the, 2000s these 200 plus inch deer were coming in at eight and a half or what what have you seen there on the lab aging well um i lab aged my first deer back in 96 so we're what are we 25 plus years of, of lab aging and you know back then you know i was only doing just a few a year but then i i, I opened a business in the kind of mid 2000s where i was collecting them from around the country and so you know then then our sample size grew and we lab age for people wonder what are we talking about lab age is is, is sending um one of the the the, uh, the teeth from a mule deer to a lab and they do what's called cementum aging analysis it's it's very similar to counting tree rings it's very accurate as long as your sample's good and 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 they didn't grow an abnormal tooth or something um uh you you, you get high it, it's the best way it's really the only way that you can approach 100 percent accuracy and um i've you know worked with taxidermists over the years that age their molars and you know i've i've, I've taken the tooth uh, the buck that they aged and send it to the lab and they're not if they're within a year they're doing great i mean it's 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 really the best way to do it so once we got our sample size we probably do 50 to 100 a year uh just depending on the year but but dustin to answer your question that's still not a big enough sample size to really track with the winter kills and the ups and downs to be able to say that okay when when deer numbers are high we're seeing more 200 inch bucks i'm just not getting enough of them is really what it would be and i'd probably have to hire a statistician to actually you know uh track that data at that level but what i do find this is what this is what i've learned from lab aging deer that's very interesting to me and it's very this is a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow and it was for me about 15 years ago we have no idea how old these deer are once they get past three they can fool you so bad and it's not you can't look at their antlers i mean you can look a little bit at their face and you know a few features and stuff like that but because deer are different just as humans are different i mean how, how tall are you dustin you got to be six two six three yeah six four 
okay, dude, I'm, I'm down here, you know, bumping up, bumping up against the bottom of my desk at five foot nine. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, we're just two totally different people, right? Well, you see that in mule deer, especially older mule deer, if they have a, 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 enough time to live, you know, to reach their potential, you'll see, you know, there's the, the, the best bucks I killed in the last decade was the smallest bodied buck I killed in the decade. And it wasn't because it was late in the rut. It was actually early. It was November 7th. And um, um, he just, it was a different deer and he was healthy, he, but he was six years old. He should have been, you know, approaching maximum body size. They're just all different. And, and so what lab aging did for me was kind of throw it out the window that, that we're going to be able to guess them on the hoof or even looking at their molars. And, and that has to do with, with diet because some place they just have more abrasive food, you know, and, and some bucks don't have very good teeth, just like people. And, um, you know, we won't talk about certain geographical, uh, uh, locations in America, but yeah, I mean, you kind of see some people that, that don't have very good teeth, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And Hey, my wife watches a lot of British TV and I told her, honey, your teeth are going to get crooked if you keep watching those people. You know I mean? There's just different, different people, different, different health of teeth. And, and you, so you throw that in with bucks as well and, 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 and it can make it hard. And, you know, that's where cementum age analysis, where they're actually taking a cross section of the tooth and then, and then counting those age rings, um, they're, they're able to tell. So, so, um, it, it, number one, it taught me we, we can't really tell, you know, you can tell an old buck from a young buck and that's about it. Um, you, you might be able to tell a four-year-old from an eight-year-old, but you know, that's about it. Um, and, and the other thing, this is the, probably the biggest thing that it taught me is prime age, prime bucks, you know, which most guys consider kind of six, seven years old when they're growing their best antlers, um, don't always have big antlers. So, for example, Travis Hobbs, you just had him on the podcast a, a couple of weeks ago. We lab-aged a buck for him from 2017, a very hard winter for us. 16-17 was, was the winter. He killed it in 17. Um, he had seen the buck in 16 and just kind of made made note of it that, you know, that buck's got some potential. Dude, we, we lab-aged that buck at three and a half years old. And get this, it was over 220. Yeah. That three and a half year old deer grew 220 inches of antler in, um, in three and a half years. And the year before when Travis saw him, he wasn't even following the buck. He was just like, Oh, there's a nice buck. You know, Travis, Travis is a big scouter. So he kind of documents bucks, took a picture of it and, you know, just like, ah, that buck's got some potential. Um, that buck was probably a 160, 170 buck the year before. What year, so, you know, it put, what, what year would that buck have been born? That buck was uh, three and a half years old in 2017, so he would have been born in 2014. So a, a relic, like there was nothing outstanding about the weather in that year. Basically, 2014, was... we put a lot of bucks on the ground in yeah. in the Intermountain West, you know, northern Utah, south, uh, uh, southern Idaho, southern Montana, western Wyoming. Just you know, very mild winter, but but we had enough water that our our so, does were not in bad shape. So this, there was a lot of bucks on the ground. This kind of reminds me uh, also another example that i've talked about is my brother's the biggest deer he's killed um uh utah buck that was very very similar um 220 something inch deer i mean had everything that you would look for um could have you know if you could nitpick anything on him maybe a little bit more mass but gee, i mean he was just so big that it didn't even matter 
And that deer, um, they, I think they figured, well, there was a local there that had been watching him and figured the, he had pictures of him the year before and guessed him at three and a half, um, is what mm-hmm. he pretty much figured. And mm-hmm. then we killed him the next year at basically four and a half, 220 mm-hmm. plus inch deer. Um, mm-hmm. I just listened to this this morning. Uh, Eastman's guys were talking about that imperiled uh, mule deer study yes. uh, mm-hmm. video. Yep. If you haven't watched that, go watch it. It's, it's, good. Yeah. it's incredible. If you're a mule deer guy, even if you're just a Western hunter in general. Uh, one interesting thing that um, Ike Eastman was was referring to or talking about was, uh, I think it was one of the Wyoming biologists, they, they had basically deducted that the size that a deer's antlers, a buck's antlers will, will ultimately have the potential to get to almost, almost. And I'm, I, again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically all determined by how healthy it was in the mother's womb, obviously. Uh-huh. So how healthy the mother was during, during, uh, the gestation period and the first six months of that buck's life. Yep. You know, yep. and, and point in case is like they had some buck that had been born in that nasty, uh, 1718 winter, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was, he was actually the one buck, uh, if you, if you're familiar with that study, they had collared, I think a hundred fawns and one survived. And he claims that this was the one, that one deer was a buck and this was him. And they said somebody killed him or he, he died or something. They went and found him and his antlers were just relatively puny but he was massive like his body was huge mm-hmm. you know he mm-hmm. was he was healthy at the time you know almost like a malnourished uh kid or something born in you know bad situation they you can mm-hmm. still bring them out of it you know later in life but that first six months which would have been absolutely brutal for him the fact that he mm-hmm. even survived manifested itself into his antler growth later so kind, kind of exactly. goes right. sounds like it goes right. hand in hand with what you're saying well, it does. And that's, that's why it's so hard to age them because you know, that there, there can be all these things going on, you know, like what was the health of them and the, the health of the doe and that first six months, I, I agree with all that. We did a podcast with Sydney lamb, one of the biologists in Northern Utah last year. And she's got data on it yeah, mm-hmm. about, about that. That's one thing that they're, that they're tracing it back to. And so back to your brother's buck, um, that that's kind of what I learned from lab aging though, is you're still going off empirical evidence that the guy, the year the guy that saw it the year before had it right. That was actually a three and a half year old deer. And now the, the only way you really know that is if, you know, did, did you see it as a two if and a half? Would, did you yeah. see it as a one and a half? I mean, so, so we're still guessing and I'm not disputing what you're saying. I'm not at all, but I, I that's what, why I brought up Travis's Hobbs two twenty buck. Um, you know, that's, that buck is like, it might be the Idaho state uh, record um, or in the top three anyways. And, and it was three and a half years old and, and Travis didn't even know that. In fact, I don't even know if he had associated with the buck that he had seen the year before that was two until he got the lab age back and he started putting everything together. And he's like, my goodness, he was a giant, well, a relatively giant when he was two. And that's what I've learned from lab aging. If they're going to be big, if they're going to be giants, it's going to show up early, mm-hmm. like at two and a half, three and a half. Now, if Travis's buck had lived to seven, yeah, we would, we would, you know, that could have been a 250 buck, but maybe not because there's other things that go into it. You know, he might have um, uh, uh, got attacked when he was uh, on his seventh year by a mountain lion and hurt his back right left leg and uh, or excuse me, back left leg. And so his front right antler, I guess all antlers are on the front, um, his front <laughs> or his right antler would have 
could, could have digressed. I mean, there's all these things that are playing into it that, that, that make me when, when people ask me now, how old was that deer? I just laugh. I'm like, I have no idea. Let's pull this dude. I, I can probably tell you if he was older than three and a half. I yeah. probably can, you know, look, look, looking at that. But, but what, what the oldest buck I've, I've lab aged of my own was nine years old. And when I, when I had him on the ground, you know, I'm looking at everything, had great teeth. He only had one small cut in his ear. Usually old bucks have really beat up ears. Um, you know, this buck was not an enormously big body, just very healthy. And when I got the lab age back on that and he was at nine years old, I about fell out of my chair. I had to go back and look at the list that I submitted him to make sure that it was right. And, um, and yet Travis killed kills a nine-year-old buck on that hunt him and I did together this year and you know Travis knew this is a big deer he attracted he'd seen a giant track you know when he saw the buck he was with does he was so much bigger than the does he knew he was a you know an old buck an older buck put it that way um and, he, and he'd also noticed yes, he's a little bony even though he's big he's you know a little bony he should probably have more weight well you know it's mid-November maybe he lost some weight you know chasing does so we get the tooth back another nine and a half year old deer and by the way dude in all these hundreds of deer that i've lab aged i've only lab aged about five of them that were nine years old or older yeah. and i've only lab aged one that was 10 years old I haven't lab aged any older than that so we know that's getting up to the to the top end of their life you know that's as far as they can go um but you know travis's buck at, at nine years old was beat to crap beat up ears um you know, a good rack, but not a giant rack. I mean, I, it didn't, didn't score very well. You know, it's probably in the 160s, but it, he's a better buck than a 160 buck just because he's an old gnarly buck. But he's not overly heavy, you know, sort of kind of light at the at the base. And, and, and yet, again, nine years old. You know, both of us were like, wow, nine years old. The other thing lab aging has taught me is that uh, that is not a great unit that him and I hunted. <laughs> and the unit I killed my nine-year-old buck in is not a great unit. Um, none of them are, are, are hard to draw units. They're pretty much, um, general season status that, that certain places in these units can still grow very old deer. It doesn't have to be, you know, the best tag. It doesn't have to be the strip. It doesn't have to be the Ponsagon to, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have to be something like that. What those areas typically do is their young deer are just bigger. You know, you know, that's, that's Would you, what genetics do for you and habitat do for you. This was an angle that I had heard just recently and really never put it together in my mind until I heard it. But would you uh, buy into the, the concept that, you know, almost ironically, these units like you're talking that have so much pressure and we over issue tags and there's guys on every hillside by nature, because there's so much pressure, um, it keeps those, it, it almost blankets those deer from getting killed because they just go into hide mode so early and so fast, you know, if, if that makes sense. And it, it completely depends on, you know, the unit and the time of year and the weather that we get, obviously, but generally speaking, it just kind of, you know, it, it was presented and it's like, yeah, you know what, all these units that have, you know, they're overrun with hunters in Colorado because they're zero point units or Idaho over the counter, you know, or whatever, um, that pressure, you know, it's, it's kind of like we're loving something to death almost like there's just so many guys in there and it, and it just, 
not not loving it to death, I guess. That doesn't make any sense. But but just the sheer pressure almost creates pockets for these deer to, to get into and hide. I mean, is that making any sense or do you have any? Sort, sort of, dude. You're, I, I know where you're going with this. And um, it can't have that much hunting pressure. It will not have big deer. And, it, and it's not that people kill the big deer. If, if an area has too much hunting pressure and there are no big bucks or very few big bucks, it's not because, oh, man, the guys killed all the big bucks this year. No, it's because they killed all the small ones three years ago. That's that's why it's not growing any big bucks. And that's typically, you know, not enough escapement, too many roads, you know, too many licenses and stuff like that. There's no big deer there because nothing ever gets old. So it can't be like that. It can't be a guy on every ridge. It cannot, it cannot do it unless there's just – Maybe in the Wyoming range, there can be a guy on every ridge, but there's 3,000 feet of vertical real estate below him yes. that actually has feed and browse and the deer can go into it and they, they can kind of hide. So, so on average, you know, you can't, you can't go, you can't go to the place in a unit that is like that. But if you think about it, most units are not like that unit wide. All right. You can usually still find, and you said it, and that's where I'm agreeing with, you can still find the pocket that has enough escapement. And that that a deer can get old in there. So even on an on an, an on a unit that's got a, a lot of hunting pressure, you can still have a chance. It's not going to happen every time. I don't want to say there's a big buck in every single unit in the West. There's not. Um, you can still have a chance of finding an older age class buck you in don't... the areas that are not overrun with hunters because he made it past three or four years old, where that's when they begin to change, and they're just hunted or not they just get harder to find you know they just they 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 they, they hide more they they, they 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 don't like to be out in the sun they don't like to be out past sunrise hunting pressure or not they just they just get harder to find so once they hit that three or four year old level then yeah you couldn't put a few hunters in that area and he's not going to be easily harvested yeah you don't think there's a like say a 180 right i, I consider 180 a big buck you don't Me think too. there's a 180 buck in every single like no. like average decent like just general deer hunting unit in the west no really I how think... can there be dude when i go out on the winter range in some of these units and spend five six seven days and all the deer are low and i don't even see one yeah you know and and, and back to this whole deer number thing that we're talking about um that that this is why i think it's better than the 90s and you'll I'll just quote Jason Carter, probably the best that's out there. As as tough as Utah is, it's better than it was in the 90s. Most places, on average, maybe your one little particular unit out the back door had more big bucks in it in the 90s. But on average, it's doing better on deer population. It's doing better on uh, buck-to-doe ratios. Dude, I remember in the 90s when the buck-to-doe ratios in Utah were in the single digits. You know, eight bucks per hundred does. I mean, those poor eight bucks, my goodness, man. <laughs> um, you know, they run themselves ragged. And, you know, it's not like that now. And, and yeah, I'm not saying it's great, but, you know, it's in the mid-teens to, to low 20s in a lot of places. And and so there, it's it's a little bit better than it was. We, the, sky, the sky is not falling is what I'm trying to say to mule deer hunters. I say this on almost every podcast, and this is why some guys don't don't agree with me, because they, they want the sky to fall. They think the sky needs to fall to have better deer hunting. Well, and, or, and you know what? Maybe it does, or it's their, I just or, can't hunt that way. Or it's their scapegoat of why they're not successful. 
Sometimes, Let's just call sometimes it, it, it is. is. Yeah. Well, dude, there's a lot of good old deer hunters here in little old Iona, Idaho, where I live, that don't hunt anymore because they say it's not worth it. And I'm like, but wait a minute. Even though that we just went through the hardest winter that we went through in 16, 17, and we're still feeling the effects of it. And in uh, 17 and 18 and 19, I only found real one really big buck. You know where I should have found five. They're still out there. They were still out there when it's as low as low. So to me, it, it's still worth it. And, you know, those, all the Intermountain West is we're driven by winter. So as we get into milder winters, we're going to see some of those bucks come back. I don't believe that those guys are diehard mule deer hunters then. And here's here's my analogy that I always use, it, it, whether it's deer hunting or life in general. If there's something um, that you're, you're quote unquote passionate about, but there's an external, there's an external uh, circumstance that can cause you to not do it anymore you weren't that passionate about it right i think of like you see this manifested in high school sports all the time they Mm -hmm. they played basketball their whole life for example and they quote unquote love it and they live for it and then all of a sudden their junior year they run into a coach that's a a mean guy i'll just say or Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't coach the way that they think he should coach or something like that and what do they do they quit oh it's not the same it's you know whatever and no you just really you know i i'm just a you know and i've I've played for i played a lot of sports right you're you're i'm i'm i can i can say i've played a lot of sports for a lot of guys i loved a lot of coaches i hated some coaches and you can i always i never lost my passion for the game you know, if mm-hmm. I had a passion for the game, I had a passion for the game. And anyway, I, I kind of great I kinda analogy. Feel, I kind of feel like that with these mule deer guys, right? They sitting <laughs> back in their chair and the, oh, the good old days. And I don't it's not the same and I don't even apply anymore. No, you just didn't necessarily love, love, love it to begin with. You were just doing yeah. it because it was it might have been the heyday and it was easy and it was you could go out and see a lot of bucks. You were just taking the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and you didn't you're not really passionate about it. I don't know. Exactly. They were good deer hunters, but they're not adaptable deer hunters because that's that's why you you know, until I can't get in the hills anymore, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to go down the path of the sky is falling and it's just going to get worse and, you know, more animals or less animals, more people. Yeah. Okay. That's going to happen. I get it at some level, but if you're adaptable and with what's going to happen in Colorado right now, we better get really adaptable um, (laughs) because there's going to be less bucks. I guarantee you there's going to be less bucks. And I'm I'm not saying it's rosy. I don't have rose colored glasses on, but we, if you want to stay in the game, that's why I like, like your analogy. You're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to adapt because changes are coming. And in my 30 years of mule deer hunting, there's been a lot of changes. And yet when I stand back and look at it from 10,000 feet, I'm like, well, I'm still finding older age class bucks. You know, I I have to apply different. I have to hunt different. I have to go to different places somewhat. Um, You know, I got to think on my feet. I can't just say, oh, you know, the the good times are over. Uh, Yeah, in some places they are. But that's kind of what's cool about it is – if, if you think on your feet, I still think you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to find these opportunities that allow you to harvest older age class bucks and, and back to the lab aging. That's what's been so cool about lab aging for me is that my size of bucks goes up and down. 
um, you know, depending on years, winter kill, you know, genetics, you know, I hunted a really poor genetic unit last year because I could get a tag and it was a great rut hunt. And, um, uh, and I killed, but I killed a five-year-old deer right up in my average of my biggest bucks. And that's what lab aging has taught me is I'm still, I'm still hitting the older age class bucks. Yeah. I haven't killed a 200 in a decade. Um, uh, and I, and I killed four in a, the previous decade. Um, you know, we can talk about different things on that. You know, some of it's just because of, of, of changes and not being able to get licenses where they used to be, but I'm still, I'm still hitting the older age class bucks in the, in, in the units, no matter where I'm going. And so are the, so are the Travis Hobbs. So are the Scotty Thompson's, you know, I could go on and on to the guys that are, that are doing it. Your brother, um, they're, they're, we're, we're still finding them. It's just not like what it used used to be. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not as to me. This is what it's not like it used to be. It's it's harder to get licenses where I want to go. That's really what what is what has happened. So I'm I'm accepting licenses that aren't quite as good from a population standpoint. Maybe you know, genetic standpoint. You know, things like that. I'm just I'm just not hitting them as often as I was because of the way things have changed. You know, particularly in Wyoming and Colorado. Uh, Robbie, 30, I, I actually added up this morning, 30% of my, uh, listeners or downloads, I guess, are from what I would consider, you know, non the, the non core of the Western U S you know, the eight or 10 States out here. And so what, you know, to kind of jump into this non-resident, um, deal, uh, relative to everything that we've said, what issues uh, or what challenges does a non-resident uh, mule deer hunter face nowadays? Oh, this is a good topic, and I'm glad you bring <laughs> it up, dude. I, I really am because I see what's happening in these states right now. Um, it started with um, with Oregon a decade ago. You know, only giving. Um, I think they're at like 6% for non-resident. It could be 10, but there's some units they won't even issue a non-resident tag in for mule deer. I mean, that's how we used to talk about sheep for mule deer. I mean, they really put the screws to the non-residents and they're giving those tags to the outfitters. Okay. Um, now I'm not anti-outfitter. I am an outfitter here in Idaho. Okay. But because I'm an outfitter, I see both sides of the, of the issue um, from a, a public land hunter to a, to an outfitted hunter. And now what we just saw in Wyoming, it didn't pass, but they attempted to do the same thing in Wyoming with their limited quota hunts and really slash the non-residents and make more tags available for the residents. It all sounds good on paper. It really does sound good on paper. Um, Idaho just did it. Um, last fall, they've taken basically our over the counter hunts for non-residents where you could just buy a tag and go as long as we were under that, I think 12,000, uh, tag quota for the state as long as you were on as long as we had not sold all those you could buy your tag and hunt you know 70 80 90 percent of our units anything that wasn't limited quota that's gone now uh, that was because of of, of residents saying there's too many non-residents um, um i don't want to blame the outfitters on the wyoming and idaho one i think the wyoming one actually got defeated because of outfitters, because it was going to make it so they couldn't pull in as many non-residents. But, but what I'm getting at is I just gave you three examples of, of, of opportunities that have really dried up for non-residents in the last couple of years, making it harder for non-residents to be able to plan a hunt without having to draw a tag. And this is why my hackles get up when everybody's calling for all draws, because I'm like, you, you realize when you go all draw, we, we're going to lose a bunch of hunters and your podcast statistics just 
made my case. So using your statistics, if 30% of our hunters are, are not in these core Western states and we're cutting those guys out of the pie, making it harder for them to get a tag and, um, you know, even cutting them out on, on some years, number one, the states are losing the revenue. Many of the state's uh, uh, budgets, the, the biggest portion of them are coming from the non-resident dollar because, you know, they're, they're 10 times the fees of what a resident pays. I buy a mule deer tag in Idaho, I know, 30 bucks or something. And yet my non-resident friends are I buying them for, for something. there you go, buddy. Uh, so more than 10 times. And so in budget wise, that, that really brings in a lot of money for the states. And, um, and, 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 and this question was brought up on Rockslide about a week ago. I think it was a guy from the East, um, probably listens to your podcast. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, the thing that's making me sour on all this um, reduction in opportunity for non-residents, you know, he, he was saying, I understand you guys live in a certain state. You don't want to see a license plate from somewhere else. But he, he took it beyond just not supporting the state. And it really made me think, he's like, so why do I want to stay a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation? And why do I want to stay a member of the Mule Deer Foundation? And, you know, he named a couple of other foundations and, and he's like because if i'm only going to get to go mule deer hunting or elk hunting every three or four years well eh, i think i'm going to take up kayaking and okay. i'm like and there there's a great point we're losing that guy's support and he's just going to go do something else because we're like we got to have the playing field only for residents go ahead let me let me let me i if if i was being honest i probably sway you know if if this is a pendulum i'm probably 10% on the, on the opposite side, not, not, not crazy, but just, just a little bit. And let me just present some, some thoughts here. Supply and demand, first of all, right. I mean, that's, that's just the game that these, these parks and wildlife or, you know, fish and game are, are playing, right. Is the supply and demand because to them, you know, if there's, I don't know how many non-resident tags each state issues. Let's just say it's 500. If there's 500, there's there's way more than that, obviously. 5,000 or whatever you want, whatever number you want to use. There's, there's obviously, you know, if it's a decent state, there's 10 times that guys applying, right? They will always fill those tags. Always. If it's a, like, name a, name a, a state anymore that's just got tags to give out that are decent tags, right? It rarely happens anymore. Um, people will gobble them up. It's going the other direction. Like you said, like Idaho puts up their stuff over the counter and you've got to get on. And it's like any decent tag is just getting gobbled up as fast as you can get it. Even crappy tags, even crappy tags. Gobbled up. Yep. Yeah. Because generally, like you're saying over the West, because you know, these, these opportunities are going to go away in 10 years, we're going to look back and say, Oh man, there was zero point units in Colorado. There was second choice units in Colorado. Could you believe those? The heyday, you know, like it's, it's just the way that it's going to go. Right. Um, I second thing. So, so su supply and demand, right. They're, they're, they're playing the, you know, we can, we're, we have a finite number of tags and there's more people out there willing to pay for them. And we're going to raise the price up. Right. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's kind of what they're doing. The other thing, and probably the more important thing, is there is so many opportunities still for guys who are from wherever, Wisconsin or, you know, Illinois or whatever, where they don't have mule deer and they're a member of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I'm still blown away by the amount of opportunities that are out there, all that being said. 
uh, Arizona, you can come hunt over the counter. Idaho still has over the counter. Not for an elk non-resident, you can. Where in uh, in Arizona? No, not 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 for elk. I we're uh, sorry. I'm oh, okay. I'm mule deer. I'm mule. I'm mule deer minded. Yeah. Yep. I'm yep. mule deer. You're right. Yep. You've got some bling, cl- lots of OTC late units season in. or early. You know, you can get your over the counter. Uh, if you want to hunt with a bow. If you want to hunt with a bow. Um, Idaho, uh, Montana. You can pick up. No, with... not Idaho anymore, Dustin. Well, they it's over the counter by 10 a.m. on the. Uh, 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 it's not over the counter anymore, Dustin. Well, it's that's what it's that guy first is come, trying first to serve. say. It's first come, oh, yeah, first serve. Yeah. First come, first serve, and they were gone by 10 a.m. on the morning that they opened it. And 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 so I'm not, I'm, I, dude. Your supply and demand. You're exactly right. But the problem is, is they're they're putting an artificial cap on the supply. That's what Idaho did. And so it's just like when the, the big storm came last week and everybody rushes the grocery store <sighs> and, and, and buys everything that that's what's happened. And that's what's that guy's point. So why do I want to join the RMEF or the, the MDF? If things are going to continue to go this way, where these States don't want me, they've got enough, they've got enough. They don't need me. And, and even though 10 times the amount of guys apply for those tags, well, they still be, feel like they're going to get one. We're now, dude, they're Idaho still, just cut them out. Because for every guy like him, there's still 20 behind him that are willing that are willing to pony up and willing to pay the price and are happy to do it, right? And and yeah, it's turning into a little bit of like the extreme, you know, I don't want to say elitist, but like guys like me that it's my whole life, right? He might be a guy that loves to golf on the weekends and simultaneously come out and hunt mule deer. Guess what? I don't golf anymore. I just saved right, my money we for still need his conservation dollar. And there's a lot more guys out there that golf on the weekend than spend 60 days a year hunting mule deer. And we want those guys too. And that's all I'm trying to say is all these residents are beating their chest now because they've made it harder on the non-resident. I'm like, okay, but remember these, these guys help play, pay for conservation and they vote for conservation and that's what that guy's point is yeah maybe i don't even won't even worry about hunting anymore and all the residents are like yeah awesome we got rid of that guy <laughs> yeah but it ain't gonna change hunting pressure at all the whole thing idaho just did with their whole cap thing dude it's gonna not hardly make a difference on the amount of non-residents in in 90 percent of our units there'll be a couple of units 75 74 you know 71 you know that whole southeast idaho corner where everybody wants to go yeah it'll reduce pressure right there but yeah it's out here chalice sitting 36b who cares if there's 30 extra non-resident hunters out there those guys are those guys are buying licenses those guys are supporting the hotels they're they're renewing their membership for rmef they're they're they're, they're, they're they might buy a mule deer foundation membership that, that's all i'm trying to say dustin is that if we make this too elitist and you and i are the elites because you know we're so passionate about it and we just happen to be by the grace of god live in the west I, i'm just not comfortable saying oh forget all these guys in the rest of the of the united states i'm just not i'm just not good with it that's all i'm trying to say do you think that the outfitters should determine how we allocate tags no and I'm an outfitter. Right. And I'm an outfitter. And believe me, I was on the phone when they when they made the change to Idaho and uh, because I knew it was going to affect our business. And it did. It cut our business 50%. Um, and I'm in a unit that's not even that good. The only reason my, out, my operation's good is because I'm on private land. Um, you know, I, I called and put my hand up and said, hey, if there are any tags available, I would like 
I would like them, but I did not raise hell. I did not go to the meetings and, you know, all that other stuff because I'm like, hey, you know, the if, if they're managing for the best of all of us, then I'm going to have to take a hit too. And, and I, and I did, we're, we're down 50% on archery elk hunts this year. Um, but, but when, when, when all of a sudden the whole industry is based on the, you know, how many tags the outfitters are going to get, I forgot to mention New Mexico. They did the same thing just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the non-resident quota went from 10 to six and, um, the, the, a lot of those tags that were freed up, went to the outfitters and so there's your elitist hunting right there okay and it's like okay so now if i'm going with an outfitter um you know it's just a whole entitlement thing in america is now i'm now i'm you know i'm a better hunter i paid more money or whatever just all bullcrap if you ask me it's all it's all sectarianism it's just dividing hunters and and, and outfitters are kind of pushing for that because you know i get it they want to they want to get extra tags but something gives when you're taking the tags from the non-resident hunters, Some, something gives. That's why I gave the example of that guy that's like, man, eh, maybe I won't renew my memberships here. And I'm like, man, we don't want to lose those guys. And if outfitters are, are yeah. doing that, well, they got blood on their hands. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. And yeah, the, the outfitter thing, I think is just, it's purely selfish. They have no, it, it you know, and, and, and should it be the state's job to allocate tags in order for, you know, 40 outfitters to operate instead of 20 uh, and make a living doing that. I I don't think so. You know, I don't think that that should have anything to do with it. Uh, Love me, hate me, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not this, you know, this isn't, um, you know, it's just different, right? This isn't like tax breaks for businesses opening up in certain states or certain counties and stuff like that it's just different like there's a finite resource of an animal that we're trying to preserve and protect as much as we can and so i just don't think that that should factor in there shouldn't be so much clout from these outfitters in wyoming uh you know where where they just can control that situation and that that's one of the big reasons right and you know, and, and I, I think we both agree on that, man, the, the RMEF and the, the MDF and the, the fees and, you know, the, the conservation and stuff like that. I, I don't know, man. Um, it, it's tough. You know, my, again, me personally, I've always been a guy who's willing to pay to play. Right. I, I've never once in, Anytime there's been a tag hike or an increase, a fee increase or whatever in any of these states, and there's been some, there's been some, I always find a way or I go without, right? It's like, man, I just can't afford to put in for desert sheep in, you know, New Mexico or whatever, because you have to front the money. I'm going to sit this one out and I tipped my hat and I was fine with that, right? I'm not, I haven't created the financial situation to be able to do that. I don't know. It, Again, I, I, I'm not saying where I stand hundred percent, but man, I, Wyoming specifically, because I'm a resident, you know, I, I will say to that, the tag allocations for Wyoming are ridiculous for non-residents. Let's just, let's just break down. I mean, it was like 20 something percent, uh, for I think elk 16% on average, I think for like deer and antelope and whatever else, moose or goat or whatever. Or, or sheep, I think sheep was 20%. Anyway, it, it was absurd. It was, it was insanely high relative to the rest of the, the West. That's just a factor, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that it yeah, should yeah, be or mo- should be. Yeah, a lot of the states are right around 10%. Right around 10%. The Western average was, I think, 9% on most out-of-state tags. 
and that was with Wyoming driving the you know the the average up. And Colorado, because Colorado gives 35 in yep. a lot of units yep. and 20 in others. Yep. And I don't know. It, it's just, it's, it's a. But, but what I'm trying to, the case I'm trying to make, Dustin, is that, that okay, let's just say we lower Wyoming to 10. Okay. I, I can live with that. I mean, that's you guys' estate. Do whatever you want. But just remember, you just moved there. So it's easy for you to argue for it. Okay. If you live, still lived in Utah or Nevada, you might be saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's all I'm trying to say is let's, let's, let's not just be the residents that everything is ours. All right. And, and ignore the millions of dollars that these non-residents bring in. In the case I'm trying to make even more than the money, the support for hunting as a national pastime in America, that is dwindling. All right. We can't afford to lose much on that end. And that's why I care about the, the guy that lives in New Jersey that would like to come to the West and go hunting. I actually care about that guy because I hope he gets to do it because on the big, in the big grand scheme of things, there's another hunter out there in New Jersey that supports hunting in a world that is, that is turning against hunting. All right. And it is look at it, just look at it. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what I'm trying to get at is if there's a way that we can still, you know, keep these guys excited about it and, 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 and supporting it. That is not a bad thing. We're, it's not going to do any good to have these thriving big game herds and no non-resident license plates in our units. If we can't hunt because some, somebody filed a lawsuit against the fishing game and a, and a, and a judge agreed with them that, Hey, you have not shown proper management for this species or whatever, all the bull crap that the, yeah. that the greenies pull, that's what we're up against. And so when this guy in Kentucky is saying, yeah, maybe I'll just not worry about Western hunting anymore. I'm thinking that is not good for us. And Dustin, if they take Wyoming from 16% of licenses to 10, do you really think it's going to make a big difference in the number of animals you're going to see? No, Seriously, no, you really? No, I, it's no, not, it, that, is it? That's the point. Is it? it it's not going to change the number of, you know. It, it, again, it's a supply and demand. It's not like they're increasing tags; they're just reallocating them. You know, it's not. It's not going to change at all. It's just going to. There you go. It's going to make it easier for a resident, you know, who's willing to live in a state that most people aren't willing to live in, get a tag, right? I mean, just plain and simple, right? But no, it's it's not going to change the number of boots on the ground out in the field. That was my original point is it as far as the state's concerned, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, th there's still X number of tags allocated and, you know, they're still getting X number of people to put in for them and, and to offset the, you know, you saw exactly what they did to offset the lower tags. They increased the price for the non-residents, you know, and it right. did, did Again, and, and that's going to put some guys out of the game. And when, 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 when a resident's beating their chest saying, I live here, this is mine. And I'm a better hunter because I choose to live here. I'm like, oh, dude, you're just dividing hunting is all you're doing. If it wasn't by the grace of God, you may not even be standing here in a Western state. You know, and, 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 and nobody's going to convince me that we've all made this big choice. So I, I live in Idaho, dude, because I was born here. All right. My job is here. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, Dustin. I, I just this this it's dividing hunting and I'm not OK with it. And I don't think I think at the levels that most states are, are, are managing at are 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 probably pretty good for non-residents. And I and I and I don't want to make hunting harder for those guys because it's going to er erode the base of support for hunting. 
that that that's my big ten thousand foot view is is that that that's all I'm trying to say right there. We need more support for hunting, not less. When all those threads were popping up on Rockslide last year, oh man, all these guys are hunting now, and um, you know the coronavirus, blah blah, ruined hunting. I'm like, well, I, there is a positive side to it too, guys. You realize. You know, a lot of these guys that were um, uh, just sipping IPAs a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. didn't really even know about hunting, they support it now. And 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 we might need that. You know, if these lawsuits come and stuff like that, we might really need that. It's not going to do any good well, to have premium hunting we can't access. And that's a good point. Is is hunting? You know, it it, it this goes into this 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 like you know uh, paradox of like. Oh, hunting is dwindling and hunter numbers are dwindling. But then you and I know, like we're, we're in the middle of it. I don't see that at all. I see draw odds getting worse. I see point creep getting worse. I see more people trying to get out and get into the backcountry. I see, you know, draw odds getting worse. I see, I mean, it just, to, to me, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I, I, I get what people are saying. Maybe, you know, the, 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 the phrase that everyone says, the overall hunting license purchases are down but that's you know if if anything that's from you know east of east of states like wyoming you know that's the eastern midwest type states maybe i I don't know because i don't feel it out here and like you said if anything there was a huge surge we thought that coronavirus was gonna you know hit everyone's wallet so bad that they weren't going to be able to apply uh last year 19 or 20 or whatever it was um it was the complete opposite. We, we thought we were going to get tags, you know, points for less points than we needed and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no, no. And, 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 and some of that is hunting's, you know, easier to access, you know, internet, stuff like that, you know? Um, but you know, I, I, I won't argue against that Dustin, other than the, the, the last statistic that came out, we lost like 3 million hunters in five years and, and, and everybody's, Oh, well, they're just rabbit hunters and squirrel hunters. There are still hunters. Yeah, that's that's my point. They're still hunters. And that's why you keep hitting on this thing of dividing this hunting up in the wild. The serious guys that live in the West, they they should have the best access. I'm not going to go down that road, bro. You know, no one's going to convince me that that is a good thing. And when hunter numbers are going down and they are going down as a percentage of population, you know, even though we got these little surges here and there and it's a little harder to get a Colorado elk license than 10 years ago. the, The big picture is hunting does not enjoy uh, an easy path forward if if the challenges start to mount to mount against us. Look what just happened in BC with the Grizzlies a couple of years ago. Do you think that's not going to happen here? I mean, America's trying to become socialist. Why would that not happen here? Yeah. And I want those three million rabbit hunters going. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to fight for hunting. You know, because I may go out west one year and hunt hunt elk or deer or whatever. You know, I I want those guys. I don't want to make it. It, it's elitist and you know and it's not just by elitist i don't just mean rich people i don't think it has to be only for the serious hardcore guy out there hunting in a loincloth with a spear sleeping on the ground for 38 days straight you know i it, it's not just for that guy because honestly there's not very many of those guys either yeah man it's tough i, I i'm on board like i i really am i'm not i'm not trying to you know say like man screw all the guys that don't live out here and screw all the guys that you know from other states um man i just i i, I try to look at it from you know my perspective of like i'm i'm completely willing 
you know, to pay the higher tag price for, you know, to go hunt some of these states. And so I feel, man, like, why aren't some of these other guys willing to, you know, whatever, cut out some cheeseburgers, cut out, you know, buy a, you know, don't buy a new truck. I know you don't have a new truck. You're the poster child for that. <laughs> you, you still drive an original Ford body, you know, and it's like you, you could have, I guarantee that you could have bought a truck, you know, a nice new truck. Like I just went and bought, you know, which was probably stupid um, and hunted less tags, you know, but you chose the opposite, you know? And so I don't know, man, like I, I, I am, I, I'm on board. I hundred percent, you know, you, you want to give a, a little to get that support, you know, if it's, if it's given a little bit on your hunting experience, so to speak. And let's be honest, man, by nature, guys like you and me, we are going to figure it out. If they in, if everybody across the West increased tags by 20% next year and every unit got, you know, quote unquote worse or harder to hunt, you and I would figure it out. We've Yeah, you, I'm going to sell that 96 for and I'm going to jump back to a 79. That was a better <laughs> body style anyways. Well, joke's on you because that's going to cost you more in repairs. <laughs> but no, I mean. Oh, no. You, no, 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 no. Even repairs, dude, compared to what you just spent on a new truck, I'm way ahead of you. Yeah, that was why I bought a new truck. I was sick and tired of repairing my 2004. Uh, anyway, you know, guys like you and I will figure it out. I don't, I don't feel, you're right. I don't feel threatened, you know, if there's 10 or 20 or 30 more, uh, 50 more non-resident hunters, because, you know, here's the punchline. They're all predictable. For the most part, those guys are predictable. They're going to do the same thing year after year. Yes, there's more guys pushing into the backcountry and stuff, but, you know, those are guys like you and me. Those are guys who had to go into the backcountry, you know, 15 miles to get away from the guys who were hunting, you know, pounding the roads and stuff like that. And I'm here to, I, I predict that in the next, you know, over the next five to 10 years, guys like you and me are going to figure out that, oh, hey, like it's actually not 15 miles deep anymore. It's, it's two and a half to four and a half miles deep, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, there's always a place to go. There's always a unit to go to. There's always, you know, there's always, everyone's looking left. There's always a Kansas city shuffle where you can go right. And, you know, mm -hmm. and so, you know, to, to argue against some of the points I was making, like, you know, bring, bring it on. I mean, give them, you know, give them the, the, the tag allocations and it's not, it, it really shouldn't affect a guy who knows what he's doing, but it probably won't. And I, and I have one more thing, dude, I know we're probably going too long here. We'll have to get to this gear stuff later, but back in 99, 2000, probably 98, when Colorado was kicking around going to limited licenses, um, you know, I, I was pretty involved in that just as far as just keeping my thumb on the pulse and what's going on. And I remember talking to a wildlife official. I can't even remember if he was a biologist or if he was up at the administrative level. And, and he said something that kind of stuck with me. And now I'm kind of standing back and looking at Colorado thinking, you know, this guy was right. And, and this is what he was saying is most of the hardcore hunters were for the limited quota um, license cap for Colorado. And he was trying to be pretty neutral. And he was telling me, he says, you know, we don't doubt that going to limited quota would provide better deer hunting in Colorado. We, we can't argue against that. I mean, we better control on the hunters, unit by unit management, you know, that that's going to be better. He said, but I wonder about all these thousands of licenses that we sell a year that are very casual hunters. We, we, we check them in the field. 
they're not hiking back in five miles and believe it or not in 99 there was lots of people still getting way back in it's just they didn't have a kafaru they had a kelty and you know that stuff was going on he's like we sell all these licenses and we raise all this revenue and all this support for hunting. And he says, I'm afraid those guys are just going to kind of go away. And he goes, it makes me wonder what Colorado might be like in the future without the support. He didn't say this word, but I know what he meant. Just the blue collar deer hunter of Colorado that, you know, maybe only hunts opening weekend and he calls it good but you know he buys a license every year he buys his kids license wants to go out with the whole family and have deer camp and stuff like that dude that's what he was talking about and he's like i'll, I'll tell you what rob he goes they don't do a lot of damage to our deer herd you know maybe collectively because there's a whole bunch of them but he says you know they're not shooting very many animals you know mm-hmm. i drive by their camps and at 7 30 they're, they're they're still standing around the fire in the morning you know they're trying to get warm before they go out <laughs> where you know guys like you are back on the peak already and do okay so now fast forward 20 years to colorado look what's happening dude and mike duplan just go listen to the epic outdoors podcast from a couple of weeks ago with 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 justin or excuse me with uh with jason and adam and duplan was talking about it that don't be surprised to these changes you see that are coming in colorado he said go look on the cpw board and and and, and i don't know if he meant board or the biologist or as a collective he says look at who's making these decisions. He said, I think you're going to find they don't really care about deer mm. and where the deer are, you know, that we're, we're back to the, to the Excel spreadsheet. And this is what's going to be best for the state and that, mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. So why would we be surprised when without a mountain of evidence, Colorado is now moving forward saying we are going to stop CWD by taking off our old, older age class bucks and if anybody thinks they're not gonna let's see where we're at in five years i put the hundred dollars on that they're gonna they're gonna knock the crap out of these bucks the next five years and they're gonna be back very close to where they were when we went to the limited quota management but it's because the face of 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 hunting changed in the cpw and that guy that i was talking to i was referring to that admin guy dude you know he was a hunter too and Duplan's point was, I'm not so sure very many of these guys making decisions are really hunters or really even care about it. And, and that to me is the 10,000 foot view of when we start dividing hunting up and it's only for the serious or it's only for the guy that's willing to move out West, do, 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 all that. To me, that's the long-term effects of it. Hunting loses its soul is what ends up happening. And now we don't have the support that we need to go, hey, Colorado, are you sure you want to issue all of your licenses for rifle for deer after October Thanksgiving? 30th? Yeah. <laughs> are you sure you want to do that? You know, um, because right now there's yeah. just not enough of us to even sway that opinion. That's where that's the direction that they're going to go. So well, anyways. Yeah, no, and that's. Man, it's, it's so, uh, there's so many different angles, um, so many different angles and so many different people to consider. And yeah, I, I do, I appreciate your perspective. Hopefully it didn't come across as, you know, you know, any lines being drawn in the sand or anything like that. Oh no, dude, it's a great debate, man. I'm glad, glad we had that talk and I'm not even saying I'm right. I just, I'm glad we both got to present kind of maybe two opposing views of what we hear in our circles of what of what people are saying you know that 
to me, that conversation is not out there right now. It's for the, it's for the brave and the strong. And if you aren't that, you shouldn't be hunting. Yeah. I love it. Hey, um, Robbie, I want to, I want to, I want to try something here to wrap this up. This is, I completely stole this from, uh, a guy that I, a Gary V guy that I follow. Right. Um, a lot of people familiar with him, but, um, and we're just, I'm literally just mimicking that we're calling this underrated, overrated, um, but hunting back, maybe not back country hunting edition, but pretty close. Mm -hmm. So I'll just rattle something off. You tell me underrated, overrated, or properly rated and, and kind of why, right? Just a okay. quick little synopsis, right? So is no it, comment one of the options. What's that? <laughs> I said is no comment one of the options. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, it is. Dang, he's it gonna ask is. me about units. I yep, know it. I am. I had two <laughs> units on here because <laughs> here, I'll start with your units. And and this will just be funny to you, I think, because these are kind of you know well-known units in Idaho. So overrated, underrated, 45 and 52 for Idaho deer. Overrated or underrated? Hunting's always overrated. So those are definitely overrated. <laughs> uh, most of, it seems like, man, most of those big units that have a ton of, you know, uh, you know, the strip and the, henry's and stuff not i don't want to say they're overrated like you, what you're saying but they're just not worth what it usually takes to get that's there. that's all i mean right there the average guy that gets that tag is still not going to get it kill a 200 <laughs> yeah. but but yeah so overrated okay uh trekking poles oh um underrated underrated even though i don't own any and i cut my own from from sticks they're underrated, man. Anything in steep terrain that helps you navigate, they're, they're, they they are the bomb. Hunting with horses. Underrated. The Idaho general deer tag, just holistically. Mm, right now, it's probably overrated because of what Fishing Game just did with this artificial cap. It sure caused a lot of commotion. You know, it caused yep. a lot of excitement, I'll say. Yep, so it's overrated right now. Lifting weights for hunting. Underrated. Uh, tracking mule deer. Underrated. Uh, the Montana general mule deer hunt. You know, I'm going to have to go with underrated on that. Sorry, Montana. <laughs> just, there's just so, there's just so much opportunity there. And as you, as you can see, I love opportunity. Well, Hey, anytime you can get a, a hunt, you know, a mule deer tag that covers that much of a state and allows you as crazy as it is like Colorado, right. To hunt into in any, any time in the month of November, um, it, I would dare say it's always going to be underrated a little bit. And I just lab aged a buck for, that was six years old from a great buck hunter in Montana in a non-draw unit. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one I had down, trail cameras. Overrated. Overrated. And, and I want to qualify that. They're overrated in the Intermountain West. They're not as effective. But anywhere where there's a lack of water, they're probably underrated. I love it. But around here, they're, they're, they're not that great my my I, I i do better just glassing love it but i use them <laughs> yeah <laughs> i yeah. use anything that's legal right <laughs> like and that can help me you know man when utah went through that debacle um that was my answer to go oh well you use them well yeah i use them 
And if you're a big buck hunter in some of those uh, units, especially the dry units where trail cameras are a huge advantage, and yeah. you want to be competitive, you better be using it, or you won't That's have right. a, you won't have a chance, you know. And I'll continue to use them, like you just said, if they're legal. I'm going to play with the rules that are given to me. That being said, in a lot of those units, if I was you know if I was president, I would uh, I would vote to get rid of them. Yeah. So. Yep. And it would change hunting, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Probably for the better. <laughs> Well, it, here's my take there. It would, some of these, I don't, I don't believe it's changing the kill odds. You know, that, that was the thing is, you know, some of these guys were getting all up about, um, you know, oh, it's not actually changing the kill statistics. And I agree it's not, but what it is doing, especially with mule deer and some of those arid units down there is bucks that have no business being killed by people who are killing them are getting killed by them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are guides and outfitters that are just able to track these deer, but a lot of them aren't. And so it would just, it would just, uh, what's the word, you know, it would make people more accountable or it, it would, people would, you know, it would, uh, you know, the currency of, of what it takes to kill, a, an awesome buck like that would level itself out right it would yeah you know it would require yeah. guys who actually and i'm not saying those guys don't know what they're doing i'm just saying it, it sure makes it a lot easier so. yeah yeah and that's all i mean when i say it would make us better hunters not yeah. better ethical hunters i'm not it, it's not really about the ethics of it to me right. it's when there's that many people using trail cameras and it's affecting the quality of the hunt, as in my hunt experience, not the size of antlers, but my hunt experience, I can't even really go sit on a water hole anymore because, you know, there's going to be trucks coming in out of here. Checking their, that, yeah. that's, that's all I mean is it, it would make us better hunters, you know, spread us out a little bit and we'd have to go back to, to, to better hunting skills. That's why the bait thing, which I thought was very interesting that Travis Hobbs and Scotty Thompson supported the, the banning of the bait because you know they can take advantage of that themselves but they said you know at the end of the day we'd rather not have it and level the playing field even if you know mm. it might affect us our ability not to do it and that that's what swayed me on it i'm like hey well, that, that's great you know the baiting for me was yeah that was a no-brainer but robbie love you brother thanks for hey, coming back on. at you man yeah thanks for coming on we uh man we went a lot longer than i thought on this so we'll have to circle we back yeah we'll have to circle back on the gear review thing but oh uh, and hey i gotta pat myself on the back because I, I know travis hobbs will be listening to this travis did you notice i made it the whole podcast without swearing and i timed you travis you only made it 44 seconds 44 seconds you got called yeah. out yeah i i, I checked you in, in full dis I, I, in full disclosure Abby, <laughs> i think you got a little excited and you rattled off a rate oh quote unquote raising he double hockey sticks oh <laughs> man you know my kids say that one. Oh That's god it, dude hey, i guess you got me it's in the bible you're good <laughs> I've been teasing Travis, dude, for two weeks since he was on there. That was so funny. <laughs> and, and, dude, and I got to say this about Travis. I, I, I hang around with the guy a lot. He doesn't really have a potty mouth. I think he just got excited on the podcast. Hey, we're all passionate. <laughs> I, I completely get it. So no harm, no foul. All right, bro. Hey, Love thanks you. for having me on, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, 
leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.